Oh, Heather, can you put the title up for us? Today's title is Getting Ready for Heaven. So I want to pose that deep and significant thought to you. Does God use this life to prepare you to live in his presence? Yeah, I, yeah, you know, we say that, but then do we live it? And so that's, that's where the rub really uh, comes. Are you ready for heaven? Uh, it's not as simple as getting ready uh, for surgery. What do you do for surgery? You got to shower real well. You got to scrub wherever they're going to cut you, right? And then you're going to have no food or water after midnight, right? Okay, you're prepared for surgery. How about you're getting ready into the Marines or Navy SEALs? Should you just keep packing on the cheeseburgers? Yeah, no, maybe you should start thinking about getting in shape so boot camp doesn't kill you, right? You're getting ready for the military service. Or how about the high school that we have that prepares kids to go on to college? What is that, Academy? Arrowhead, Arrowhead Academy, right? Uh, you're going to get ready. So the question is, are, are you ready for heaven? Um, you need to be retrofitted <laughs> to, to live in a place of purity, of innocence, of holiness. Uh, has God been changing your heart so that you will be ready to live in heaven? Because you're going to live in a new place with new customs Probably a new language. No, English is probably not spoken in heaven. It's going to be a heavenly language, much more beautiful. You're going to have new neighbors, a, a, a new body, amen, new foods maybe, new thoughts, new songs, new wonders. It's all going to be new to you. Are you ready? So how does life, and it really leads us to the next question, how does life transformation work then? If God is getting you ready to live in heaven, what is he doing today to prepare you for tomorrow, right? What is he changing in you? What do you need to do? What do you, I need to do to live in the presence of God Almighty? You know, last week uh, we looked at this uh, situation, we'll call it event number one, where little children were being brought to Jesus so he could lay hands on them and bless them. And that was a common occurrence. And the disciples were running crowd control on it. And today we're going to be talking about the rich young ruler. Uh, we could just think of Chris, since he mentioned that uh, before service. Uh, that comes to mind. Good looking, powerful, strong, right? Um, so event number one. People are bringing children to Jesus to have him touch them and pray over them. And Luke uses the word we mentioned last week that he's specifically mentioning infants where Mark and Matthew uh, are using a word that can refer up to a 12-year-old. And so there, there are lots of children around and the disciples are exercising this crowd control, stopping the parents from getting close to Jesus because the crowds are swelling Jesus is going through Perea on his way to Jerusalem to face the cross. And they're probably thinking, hey, we're, we are starting a revolution and I'm glad you brought your kids. But uh, 
what you bring to the table, no talent, no strength, no abilities, helpless, uh, the babies are dependent on mom and dad, aren't very useful to Jesus at this moment, so into the line, back of the line, stay away from Jesus. But event number two, which is our text today, is about the rich young ruler. And he either gets past the disciples or he pulls his weight and gets past them to get to the head of the line to see Jesus. And instead of being helpless, he's got everything our culture prizes. What is our culture prize? Youth. You know what? You don't see ugly people on the cover of Vogue, do you? You do not see ugly people on the cover of People magazine. You don't see ugly people anywhere because that's not what our culture glorifies. And this guy's young. Uh, our text won't say he's young, but a corresponding text in Matthew or Mark says that he's young. So that means he's probably anywhere from 20 to 40. And he's made it. He's made a lot of money because he's rich. And he's said that he's a leader of some sort. And some people think that, oh, he's probably somehow involved with the synagogue. And so wealth is something our culture prizes very much, and power, strength, vitality, all of that. So these two events could not be at more opposite ends of the spectrum. You've got children that are totally dependent on their parents, and you've got the rich young ruler who can buy his way out of anything, or solve his problems with money. And they're just so complete opposites. But last week, Jesus said that we have to become like children if we're going to inherit the kingdom of God, that we're going to have to be dependent upon him for everything. And getting made ready for heaven means becoming like a child. Now, the rich young ruler is going to have some obstacles and baggage of himself that he's going to have to deal with if he's going to become dependent on Jesus, if he's going to be like a child, vulnerable, and totally dependent on his heavenly Father. And so there, there are lots of lessons to, to learn in our text, but let's read it, and then we'll digest it. But I'm going to take a different turn on it, and you'll see that in a minute. Let's, let's read the whole part of our text, beginning at verse 18, and we'll go down to verse 25, and we'll pick up the latter half later. It says, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Let's just stop right there in our text and digest what we've read already. Now, here are some characteristics of the rich young ruler. He's rich. He's young, 20 to 40 years old. He's a respected leader in the community because that's what happens when you 
make it and you make it when you're young, people have a lot of respect for that. Oh man, he's well on his way. He was respectful of Jesus, the opposite of the Pharisees. He comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So you know he's religious and you know he's teachable because he's, he knows he's lacking something by just keeping all the rules. There's something inside of him that says, I still feel like I'm missing something. So he goes and he seeks out Jesus to say, I've kept all the rules, but I kind of sense that something's missing. And so he's really seeking, and you can tell that he has a teachable spirit. And in another text, a corresponding text, that says that he knelt before Jesus. So that's that sign of respect. So he's not like a Pharisee. He's really searching for life's deepest answer about how do I get saved? How do I get to heaven? How do I enter into a relationship with God? And Jesus is helping him see that by calling him Jesus that He's equating himself to God. We'll go into that in a little bit more. But Jesus kind of zeroes in on the horizontal commands of the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Honor mom and dad. Those are all horizontal. I'm doing vertical, sorry. But horizontal. Those are all horizontal rules. And he says, I've kept them from my youth. Well, you know, when you're rich, you don't need to steal, do you? When you're powerful, you don't need to covet because you can go get whatever you want. And so it's, it's kind of like King David. King David had it all, and yet he broke all those commands, right, when he went after Bathsheba. But this guy says, you know, I'm, I'm pretty blameless. He, I've kept these rules all from my youth. But he still knows that something's not right. And maybe he heard him Jesus preached this, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, in no way will you inherit the kingdom of heaven. So he knows that just keeping the rules isn't enough because every person is to follow Jesus in faith and the man's riches were actually a stumbling block, wasn't they? Weren't they? And maybe if you were to just boil it all, boil the text all the way down, Jesus is asking, who are you going to trust, me or money? Who are you going to trust, me or money? And when we come to follow Jesus, we have to forsake all others. It's it's like a marriage vow. Remember your marriage vows? You took a, a vow that you would forsake all others. You would not cheat or lust after another person because you made a verbal commitment, a heart commitment, and God's saying the same thing, that when we make a commitment to him, we're forsaking all others. And that includes all the idols that you can think of. All the things that are, that are holes in your heart that you try to fill with something else other than him. Because he's a jealous God. He wants to be number one. And so he knows by looking at this man's heart, what is his big stumbling block. And it's money. It's his wealth. It's his security. He's going to trust in that. Now, maybe the rich young man was trying to find out, well, can I do both? Can I, can I follow you, Jesus, but at the same time, trust my money? That's my backup. You know, Jesus, you're number one, but I got this backup plan right here. It's my bank account. And Jesus sees right through it that 
he has divided loyalties. And he's asking the man to get rid of a stumbling block, his, uh, to forsake his money. And it says that the rich young ruler goes away sad because he was hoping to keep his money and follow Jesus. Well, there are lots of things that we could talk about out of just that portion of the text, but I want to I just twist the, uh, our, our, our looking at the text just a little, just a little. And let me get to uh, where I need to go here. I want you to see that this text really does reveal the heart of Jesus, which is central, which is central for life transformation. If we're going to change, we have to understand the heart of Jesus. And if we understand the heart of Jesus, then we're going to be able to change a lot easier. And it's central to becoming transformed. And that is, I believe that if we connect to the heart of Jesus this morning and every day, that transformation is going to come a whole lot easier. It's not going to be the struggle that sometimes we think it is when we have to fight our flesh. If we connect to our flesh, transformation just come, sometimes comes to a complete stop and goes in reverse, right? But when we connect to the heart of Jesus every morning, then transformation is going to happen little by little and suddenly you're a different person than who you were even last week. And our lives are going to be transformed. And look what Jesus does to the rich young ruler. First of all, he, he says, good teacher, you know, and, and uh, I don't know if he was posing. I don't think he was. Sometimes you tell people and you flatter them up because you're hoping to get a good response. How many of you treat the customer service person really nice when you're wanting a refund or a return on something that's a little sketchy? <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. You're honest. Pat, all right, you're with me. If I've had a product, and we bought a, we bought a computer once from Costco, okay, and we were like five days past the 90-day warranty, and it was just a lemon, and we went there, and so I don't go there and throw the computer and say, I want a refund. What do you do? Hi, how's your day going? Oh, yeah, yeah, my day's going good. And, and you kind of Talk them up, right? Because you're about to ask them for something and you want a favorable response. I don't know if that's what this guy was doing. I think he was somewhat genuine He, when he said good teacher. But I'll tell you this, which is kind of weird. In the Talmud, which is a Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, do you know it forbade you to call any rabbi good? Now, if this man was really religious, when he said, good teacher, good rabbi, he knew he was going against the Talmud because the Talmud said only God is good. And that's why Jesus says, whoa, do you know what you're saying? You're calling me good and only God is good. You're right. But I want you to understand because before I answer any of your questions, you have to understand that I'm God. And once we get that out of the way, when you come to the understanding that Jesus is God in the flesh, now we can address the other question that you have. And so Jesus conf confronts him, or at least says, why do you call me good? Do you really know why you're calling me good? Because I'm, I'm God. And, and you need to know that, because I'm going to give you words of life, just like us. When he confronts us, we have to respond because we know he has what? The words of life. And what I want you to see, the very first fill in the blank is this, that Jesus is authentic. 
I love that Jesus is real. He was honest. He pulled no punches. What you see is what you get. If the rich young ruler really thought that Jesus was truly good, then Jesus wanted him to connect the dots and realize that I have the words of life and I'm going to tell you what you really need to hear. Because you asked me the question. The question was, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus pushes right through whether it was posturing, but he gets to the real issue, the heart issue. And so Jesus gets him to question the six horizontal the six horizontal. Uh, commandments. And he said, how are you doing on these? And the, and the man said, good. You know, I'm, I'm good on all these. Why? Well, again, he's rich, he's young, he's powerful, and he can stay out of trouble because he has money to bail him out. But what Jesus didn't say is, how are you doing on the other four? <clears throat> Who's first in your life? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall have no other idols before me. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. How are you doing on those issues? Anything in the way there? Well, Jesus knew he was trusting more in his wealth. And so I just want you to see that Jesus is really authentic. He is going to tell you what is wrong with you. Not because he's disappointed in you, but because you need to know it, because you need and want to change. If you don't know that you're doing something wrong at work and you're going to get fired over it eventually, what's the most decent, common thing that your supervisor should do to you? Tell you what you're doing wrong so you can correct it, right? Jesus is being authentic with each and every one of us and he peers into your heart, into your spirit, into your very depths of your soul and he knows what needs to be changed and he's not going to pull any punches. He's not going to sucker punch you. He is going to be authentic and real and tell you what you need to hear. Now our text isn't specific on this. But it says it in Mark when Jesus responds and it says, uh, all these things I have kept my, from my youth, verse 22, when Jesus heard this, Mark says, Jesus loved him. Jesus looked at this man and said, this guy's a real seeker. This guy really wants to know how to get saved. He really wants to know. And the text says that Jesus loved him. And here's the second fill in the blank. That means Jesus is relational. Jesus felt a love for him, agape love. I'm going to do what's in the best interest. And so, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's not that God woke up today, but he got out a list and he says, I'm going to do what's in the best interest of Pat today. I'm going to do what's in the best interest of Terry today. I'm going to do what's in the best interest of Jonah today. I'm going to do what's in the best interest of Bob today. I'm going to do in the best interest. And, and he has all these things because... He's relational. He didn't feel sorry for him. He didn't beg him, please, oh, please follow me. Do you notice Jesus doesn't chase him? He doesn't lower the standard, what so many people do today. Oh, here's the standard to come to Christ. You got to die to self. Well, let's lower the standard. 
Let's, what, what's culturally now acceptable? Let's just lower the, Jesus doesn't do any of that because he knows that's not real love. Jesus didn't get his feelings hurt, but Jesus valued him and Jesus wanted a relationship with him because notice what it says in the text. He says, sell all that you have. One thing you lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus is relational. Every morning he's telling you, follow me. Follow me. So the third point is that Jesus is relevant. Jesus told him what he needed to hear. He didn't enable him. He didn't avoid conflict. He didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. You can hear the disciples. They're probably in the back and they're like, no, Jesus, we need this guy. We're going to start a revolution. He's rich. He's powerful. He's got money. He's got strength. We need this guy. And Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Sell everything you have because there's something in your heart that is causing you to stumble and not follow me. You need to deal with it. And, and he didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. He didn't belittle him either. He didn't condemn him. It just is what it is, right? And that's what Jesus is going to do for us. And that's what he's going to do for you. Jesus is going to be relevant because we all struggle with something in our flesh. But I tell you what, it's different for each and every one of us. And we need to hear what he is saying to us and not necessarily what he's saying to you, right? So that, let's get to the application then. Let's, let's do the vertical first. If we're going to have life transformation, number one is this. We can't be fake or a poser with Jesus. Jesus is always going to lead us to deal with the heart issues. And the sad truth is a lot of times we stuff and stuff. How many of you are stuffers? You stuff things inside. We stuff, we stuff, we stuff, we stuff. Because we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to handle it. We don't think we can handle it. So we stuff and we stuff and we stuff. And then it becomes just this background noise that we have in the back of our head or in the back of our life and the back of our personality and the back of our spirit and the back of our peace. But Jesus is always going to lead us to deal with the heart issues. He doesn't want lip service. He wants you to unpack the things you've been packing, right? He wants us to discover where we need to change. For some, it's pride. For some, it's lust. For some, it's greed. For some, and I would say right now, so many of our youth are, are caught in this, and I'll call it just lump sum identity issues. Because that's what this whole trans, LBGQ, it's all about identity. And the funny thing is, is when you become a follower of Christ, you get your identity in Christ and not in your sex and not in, in your genitalia and not in, in what you think if you're effeminate or not effeminate or masculine. It, it, all that, why, are, why is our youth so preoccupied trying to find an identity? Because 
the real identities have been stripped away from them. And that is you find your real identity in Christ, in Christ alone, right? And so he's going to deal with that. And he's going to lead us out of our addictions that maybe was precipitated by this identity issue or greed or pride or lust or dysfunction that drove you to an addiction. And we have, we have serious problems in our world. Say amen to that. And our homeless situation is just exploding. And it's exploding because of mental illness, because of drug abuse. And as long as people are going to be throwing money or worldly philosophies at that, it's not going to get better. And it's taken 30 years to get to this point. We're, it's going to take us 30 years to turn it around. I know that sounds discouraging, but it can be done, but it's going to be done because of people finding out their identity in Christ. And so the, the thing that you have to do is stop faking. Stop being a poser to, to Jesus. Now, I've, I've said this before. There's a difference between wearing makeup and a mask, right? You remember me talking about that? Okay, I've got an anger issue. I'm going to put some makeup on it, right? Because I'm ashamed that I'm angry. But a mask says, I'm angry, but I don't care that I'm angry. I'm just going to pretend to be somebody else while I'm in front of you. A makeup says, I've got problems. A mask says, I've got problems, but I don't care to change. Makeup says, I'm ashamed and I want to change. And so we, we can't be a fake or a poser with Jesus. He wants to lead us, and that requires us to be like a child. Going back to last week's text, trusting him, willing to follow him, more than willing to follow him, to actually follow him, right? Head, heart, hand. If it gets to the head but not to the heart, then how's it going to get to the hand? We have to stop faking. Number two under the, the vertical is this. There is no life-transforming power in rules. Your marriage is broken, what's going to fix it? Rules or Christ? If you have engaged in self-destructive behaviors, What's going to fix it? New boundaries or Christ? Your self-value is all messed up. Your flaws, your imperfections, your ugliness, your wounds. Is that going to heal you? Or is Christ going to heal you? It's funny that children, well, at least helpless babies, don't even know about rules, do they? <laughs> all they know is about relationships, about mom and dad loving them. I think we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven to see some of the rule breakers in heaven. And we're going to be surprised not to see some of the people that we thought were going to be there because they're such rule keepers. Because it's not about rules. It's about relationship with Christ. Look at, look at David. David, boy, did he screw up. And yet it says he's a man after God's own heart. And yet he broke all the rules and, and we would legalistically say, well, he shouldn't go to heaven. But the thing that's gaining him to heaven is his relationship. And that's why we need rules. We need boundaries. I'm not dissing those. But I'm saying relationship first with Jesus supersedes any rules because it's the motivation to obey, right? 
Number three is this. We can't skirt the issues he wants us to deal with. Do you know we have been designed by God to have an addictive personality? We are supposed to be addicted to him. And then Satan comes along and offers all sorts of substitutions. And in our flesh, we, we succumb to it. And that's why we have to have Christ. We can't skirt the issues he wants us to deal with. You don't deal with the heart issues, you're not going to grow. Then there's not going to be any transformation. And you're not going to get any good fruit. We went to Sam's Club the other day and, you know, peaches are expensive. Same end of that. You go over to the peaches and you touch the peach and it's harder than the rock that's in my front yard. And you're like, I ain't going to pay, I don't know, a dollar and a half a piece for a peach that is as hard as a rock? How's the fruit in your life? You, oh, you see it, but it's hard as a rock. And so it's tasteless, it's valueless. And so God wants to produce fruit in your life. And the way you deal with it is you don't skirt the issues so he softens you up. And suddenly your fruit becomes good and not bitter fruit. I've said it, I've, I've been saying this line for 20 years because it's so true. The trap of dysfunction is that when you're in dysfunction, you don't know it. You think you're normal. You think you're okay. You think you're doing good. And that's the trap of dysfunction because you think you're functional. And Jesus comes along and he says, I need to talk some, to some issues with you. And you can't skirt the issues. This man at least walked away knowing what his issue was. Yeah, at least he knew. Jesus told him what he needed to do. He just refused to do it. But at least he was honest enough to say, what do I need to do, Jesus? And Jesus told him the truth, and then he decided to walk away because his, his idol of money, he trusted it more than Jesus. And so there's going to be an area in your life that God is wanting to touch and to address and to rebuke and to change and to grow you up. And so how do we do that? Well, we're going to go to the horizontal now. How do we connect people to the heart of Jesus? I love the line that, you know, uh, if you're going to go fishing for men, you have to catch the first before the, the person first before you clean them. But a lot of people want them clean before they're caught. You just need to know that you need Jesus. Amen? And Jesus will take care of it if they're willing to surrender. Unlike this man who was not wanting to, but as like a child that was willing to. So here's what you have to do. You have to be authentic, just like Jesus. It's going to be the same. You got to be authentic doesn't mean you emotionally spew over on everybody that you meet. Um, but it means that you deal with it in reality. You have to be secure in who we are in Christ. Um, it's very fleshy and natural uh, to be defensive. And sometimes you get the brunt of that. You know, I know all of you are still dealing with Chris's suicide, just like Tammy and I are dealing with Chris's suicide. 
but it's like, no, you have to be authentic. You have to tell people what they need to hear. Doesn't mean you, 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 you know, kick them to the curb. It just means you be authentic. And that's what Jesus did. And the closer you draw to Jesus, the more authentic you're going to become. You're, you're going to drop the posied, you know, and you tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. You're authentic. And you, that doesn't mean that you're brutal about it. That doesn't mean you do it with hatred or, or disgust or despair. It means you do it with love. That's that relational part that we'll talk about in a second. And being authentic is me, you being real. And boy, that's lacking today, isn't it? That's what the world clamors for. That's why, you know, we're at World Changers. We're doing this after-school Bible club for junior hires. And, and they just want to know, are you real people? Are you authentic? Are you just playing the religious part? And I think that we do a pretty good job of just being authentic. And authentic, authenticity is what attracts people because they know you're real. And you need to be real. Be real with God this way, and then you be real with people this way. And sometimes you just got to let the chips fall where they are going to fall, right? Right? Okay, just, just checking. You know, and, and there's a, a counseling term. It's called being assertive, not aggressive. Assertive just means I feel confident enough in my relationship with Hannah to speak truth to her and for her to speak truth to me or me to speak truth to Chris or Spencer or Bob or Josie. It means I feel safe enough in the relationship that we can be authentic with each other so that we can grow. Because who wants to be 85 years old and still act like they're in junior high? Nobody. Well, how you grow? It's through being real and authentic. Number two is you do have to be relational. We have to care so that we earn the right to be heard. We invest in others. Are you a loving person? Do, do you walk away or run away from too many of your relationships? Do you have disposable relationships that after a tough situation happens, you just say, you know what, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm just going to go to another church. I'm going to go to another neighborhood. I'm going to go to another job. I'm going to go to another marriage. I'm going to go to another child. Because our world is addicted to disposable relationships. Right? Yeah. Even in our community of men, most men will only have one or two, maybe three good friends for their entire life. Women, you're a little different. You're a little more relational. And it's just, how sad that it's that way. We need to be relational. Jesus said, follow me. And the rich young ruler said, I'll, I'll withdraw. I'm walking away. And the third one is to be relevant. The unchurched think that we, the body of Christ, is irrelevant today. They do not think that the Word of God has any answers. They're tolerant, obsessed, and they want an offensive, free culture. But you know what? The truth is offensive sometimes if not all the time to certain individuals. The truth is offensive. 
because 2 plus 2 is 4. It's not 5. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Not because I say so, but because we stand on this, the very words of God that defines right and wrong. And therefore, we don't have to hate people. We just love them enough to say, you're heading down the wrong path, partner, right? If we didn't love people, we wouldn't invite people to church. We wouldn't share the gospel with them. We wouldn't tell them that there's a better way. But how selfish have we become that we've stopped giving the message because we're called intolerant or offensive because we say Jesus is the only way and his life is the only life that will transform a life. Well, to many people in our culture, that's offensive and you have to be okay with it, right? Be okay with it. You got to be relevant. You got to tell people what they need to hear. Sometimes it's a come to Jesus meeting. So when we live in authenticity and healthy right relationships, growing through the real issues, maturing, having life transformation, that's when we're getting ready for heaven. That's when we're getting ready. When we're like children being led of the Spirit, strengthened by Christ, and devoted to the Father. Now, let's, I, I have to finish up. I've got two minutes to do this, so it's going to be very fast. Let's go back to the text. <laughs> Verse 25, it says, For it, um, uh, he became very sad, Jesus seeing that he had become, verse 24, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time, but in the age to come, eternal life. Basically, let me just say, the, the, the disciples were flabbergasted because in their mind... Um, Wealth meant you were blessed of God. If you were blessed of God, you, you got the best chance of going to heaven. And Jesus used hyperbole, and he takes the largest animal that is in Israel, and that's the camel, and then he takes the smallest opening that's in Israel, and that's a needle, the eye of a needle, and says, can't be done. It's hyperbole. It's, it's an exaggeration point. But salvation is gained through total abandonment of the world and a total commitment to Christ. And he tells Peter, that's what you've done. That's what you've done. You know what he's telling you today? That's what you've done. That's what you've done. Just stick with it. Finish strong. Stay the course. Be authentic. Be relevant. Be relational. You can do it. It's impossible without me, but with me, all things are possible. Father God, I thank you for today and the text and this 
gentle reminder about the heart of Jesus and how he loved this rich young ruler. And yet, this rich young ruler had the freedom to surrender to Jesus or not. And we just wonder, I wonder, will we see him in heaven? Did he grow? Did he change? Did he, did he realize what he was hanging on to? Did he hear the words of Jesus? What profited a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What finally struck the chord for this man? Father, help us to finish strong. Help us to realize that all things are possible with you and that we just have to trust you completely and be like a child. Help us this week to be authentic with you first and foremost. If there's something in our heart, we ask that you, you reveal it to us and we agree with you about it so that you can change it in us. We don't know what it is for one another, but you know what we need to hear. Speak to our heart spirit. Let us read the word this week and convict us and rebuke us and correct us and train us up in righteousness and teach us the way that we're to live so that we can be transformed. Get us ready for heaven so that when we're there, we're ready. We're ready. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all your goodness. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen.